There we go. Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight live stream. My name is Andrew Kraus. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. Mr. Stephen Key is the other co-founder here at InventRight. We're going to be doing a whole hour of Q&A, question and answer. It's going to be great. Um, looks like people are starting to come in. And then as, uh, as the hour goes on, 10, 15, 20 minutes into the hour, we seem to get more and more people which makes sense. So if you have a question that you have that's really important to you, make sure to type it in right now. Sometimes people get into it, they get stimulated by the other people's questions and my answers, and then I can't, I can't get to them all. Even though I'm spending an entire hour, I can never get to them all. Sometimes I get close, but um, so type in your questions now if you have something that's important to you instead of later. Um, and of course, you know, the basics of what we're doing here is licensing. So what is licensing? And I always say this at the beginning, I'll keep it super short for those of you that have watched the live Q&A before. When you license a product to a company, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. So you're tapping in, let's say they're in 30,000 stores, have 500 employees, and they have unlimited money for a product that sells well. So you don't need to raise money, you don't need to hire employees. And you don't need to try to get distribution with retailers that really aren't interested in talking to one product, one SKU companies. Very, very hard to launch a, one product on your own and then have any retailer take you seriously. Um, there are other techniques you can use, but licensing, you know, is a better match. You're tapping into that giant company, you know, and when you license to a company, your product is their product and they're going to pay you a royalty on every unit they sell. So it's a beautiful thing. And that's what we're talking about today. So let's just jump in. Um, oh, I should also share with you that anything that I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Um, it's just general educational advice. So please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Also at the top of the hour, I just want to remind you guys, we have a lot of free resources on our website. So if you go to inventright.com, I'll, I'll type it in here. This is our website. And you click on free resources. If you're on the web, I mean, if you're on your mobile, I think it's a little different with the menu. But if you're on the web, big blue buttons in the upper right-hand corner. But make sure to take advantage of those free resources. Okay. Um, hi. Uh, the first question is from Matt. Hi, Andrew. Good day. Just wondering, can I use my sell sheet art as my PPA art? Can a person use their sell Okay, this, that's the first part. So can I use my sell sheet as my PPA art? Yeah, there's no formal requirement for a provisional patent application. You can do whatever you want. You could take a picture. You could put a picture in there. You could do a line drawing. You could use art from your, your, your PPA in your sell sheet. Is that a good idea? Probably not. I mean, if you made it look like a line drawing, which is what you a lot of people will put in a PPA, um, that's not going to be a good piece of artwork. Oh, so you're saying, can I use my sell sheet art in my PPA? Okay, sorry, I got it reversed there for a second. Um, yeah, I don't see why you can't. You know, I, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, you could take that out. I don't, it doesn't need to be different. Sometimes, you know, we've said that it could be nice when a marketing manager or somebody at a company gets the PPA. They don't, they're not patent experts most of the time. Um, and it has what looks like patent drawings in there. So they're line drawings that look like patent drawings. But formally, you could include 
whatever you want. You could take pictures and put pictures in there. You can put whatever you want. So could you use artwork that's in your uh, that's in your cell sheet in your PPA? Absolutely, you can. Absolutely. And you know, one of the nice things about drawings in PPAs is if you forgot to talk about something to protect something in your provisional patent application, and um, but later you need to reference your provisional, which I've never seen in 23 years. Okay, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, that you could say, but oh no, 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 but there's a picture there. You can see that feature in the picture. Oh, okay. So, so having pictures in your PPA, very good thing to do. Um, now, the only time your PPA, the, the main use for a PPA is to look professional to a company after they've shown some interest. And that's not something you do early on. So if you didn't do it with crayons and it looks halfway decent, it's not distracting to them when they take a look at it. Okay, so that's really important. That's the more important part. The thought, well, not more important, but the thought that when you file, so let's say this is the approach our students take. It's a unique approach. It's an incredible approach and it'll save you money and it'll save you time. So you file a provisional patent. You see if there's any interest. You got a whole year to see if there's interest. And if there is interest, you can get them to give you the money. You take that money, you give it to your attorney to file a full utility patent, and then you're gonna reference the provisional, okay? So now you'll have the patent date will be later than the provisional date, okay? Uh, about a year later, right? Now, they will reference the provisional, but the only time it'll ever come up if somebody's contesting the patent and that one year is an issue. I have personally never seen that in the 23 years we've been doing InventRight. Could it happen? Yes. Have I ever seen it happen? No. Do you want to preserve your filing date and what you protected from that date with your provisional patent? Yes. Um, and so it is important. But I think more importantly, it's just like when the company that shows interest in your product wants to see your provisional patent, that it looks, you know, halfway decent and um, it looks like a patent. So in that respect, if you put a picture in there instead of a line drawing, um, then it doesn't really look like a regular patent would, right? But that's okay if you ask me, that's not a big deal. If you really wanna go over and above, I'd include a line drawing instead of a picture or the artwork you created because you don't normally have that sort of thing. You don't have that sort of thing in a full utility patent. Do I think that's really causing issues for students? No, not at all. But if you want to go over and above, you, you could do that. But I don't see that as a big problem. So Matt's other other part of his question, can a person use their cell phone to submit their PPA to the patent office through InventRight? Okay, so our smart IP software does not submit the provisional patent for you. You have to do that on the patent office site. It helps you write the provisional patent application. If you guys want to check that out, you can go to inventright.com. It's called Smart IP. Um, but then it gives you instructions on how to upload it to the patent office site. So uh, one, we we're, we're not we don't give you the tool to upload it. We give we write it and then we give you the instructions for uploading it. But you have to go to the patent office. Everybody does, okay. Um, and I definitely would not try to do that through your phone. That would be next to impossible. Um, if you don't have a computer, I'm concerned. Sometimes we have people that come on board don't have a computer or they just have a tablet and I go, you need to get a computer. I don't care if it's a $150 PC that you picked up used. You need a computer to do certain things with licensing and with inventing. So you should always have that in my opinion. So I would never try to do that on your phone. 
I guess it would be possible, but you need to upload a PDF at some point. And actually you need to be more technical using a tablet or a phone to do things like this than a computer. And I find the people that just have a phone or just have a tablet are usually the less technical people. So you're better off getting a computer. So that's those are just my thoughts. Uh, Musta said, that's a cool name, M-U-S-T-A. Hi, Andrew, I have a product idea, but also have some little blank points about the mechanics. Okay. Do you guys give any mechanical or technical advice during virtual prototyping or before? Um, well, when we work with our students, the coach will use logic to help the students figure out if they need to change something about their product, okay? Now our coaches are licensing experts, they're not engineers, okay? But sometimes the coach will be guiding the student as to what to research and where to find the info, but the coach isn't actually saying, oh, here's how we're gonna solve your problem with the hinge. The coach is like, well, that might be a problem. This is where you can go here and where you can go there. Um, but when we do the virtual prototype, it is just a looks like prototype. It's not a, um, it's not an engine. It doesn't have engineering specs. Now, some of our students said, hey, uh, can your guys send me the, the virtual prototype, not just the beautiful drawing, but the actual file. And our different designers use different programs. And we're like, if you want, we can send that to you. I don't know if you can utilize it. That's not the service that we provide. But then if you wanna get an engineer to put dimensions on it and stuff, that's fine. And we've done that for a few of our students that have requested it. I don't think we get that request often, but we are not an engineering firm. But we do guide people with common sense as to where to find their engineering questions. Sometimes um, most of our students think that there's this blank space. And I'm, I'm telling you like it is, guys. The coach is like, I don't see that as being an issue. I think you can reach out to companies and they can see the benefit of your product with your sell sheet, virtual prototype and you can get some interest and work that out later. So what I'm saying is like, if you're 70% sure that they can make the product, who says you need to figure out all these little things? Some of them, they might be like, oh, that's obvious, we know, right? Now for other things, maybe you do need to consult with somebody, hopefully not, but some projects are complicated and you'll need to consult with somebody in order to figure out some engineering aspect of it. But a lot of times our students are looking at it and go, let's just get the interest. It looks, looks like you definitely can be made. Now, you might not have the answer, but once they get the interest and they're like, oh, yeah, we know how to figure that out. Well, if the company will figure it out for you, which is very common, um, not all of them will, but quite often they will. Why don't you get the interest first? So that's just a mindset thing. I'm not saying it's applicable to your situation, Musta, but um, it might be. So a lot of people feel like they need to have every little detail worked out. For instance, you could have this complicated product and other people are making this complicated product, right? But your change to it is just this hinge that's on the side. And so for you to think you need to fully understand this complicated device where the company you're licensing to is selling things in that space and you can see a bunch of other people selling things in that space, who said you needed to? Who said you needed to figure out all those electronics? When you're changed to it's over here and for the rest of it, you can go, well, you guys are selling something similar. These people and these people are selling something similar. Um, I understand my change. I don't understand all that, but it's obviously doable and doable at that price, right? So people trip out when I tell them that, but that's very um, common. That's the advice that we give our students and it works out great. 
not 100% of the time because nothing works 100% of the time, right? Okay, let's jump on the next one. That was great. Thank you, um, Matt, and thank you, Musta, for your questions. Page down too quickly here, and then I lost my place. All right, uh, Waleed, hey, Andrew, what if a company offers to totally purchase the rights of my patent idea? How can I determine the value that I should ask for? Well, it's first of all, for the most part, 95, 90% of the time is BS, okay? Um, you as the inventor, you as the licensor, them as the licensee, do not want to take it that direction. You do not want to bring it up. You do not want to say stupid things. And yes, this is a stupid thing to say. I want to sell you my patent. I want to sell you my idea. Or I want to sell you my invention. Don't ever say those things. You want to say, I want to license this product to you. And then when they ask you some more details, yeah, look, looking for a small royalty per unit. So when you guys make money, I make money. Okay. Um, now, Companies don't normally bring up like, oh, we want to just do a buyout. Like that's not typical at all. And quite often when I see it from non-invent rights students, it's because the inventor guided them down that path, you know? And so now they're bringing it up because the inventor said, I want to sell you my patent. And they're like, what, what price do you want? So you should always redirect the conversation to, no, I want to license it to you. And then they say, well, what would the royalty rate be? You'll say, well, it depends on what you're going to do with the product. So you get on the phone with them and you talk to them about it and you hear their vision for what they might do with the product. And then at the right point, you need to know the right point, then you could send a term sheet or you can send some basic deal points and, and see if they're interested. But you don't want to take it down that direction. Now, I've had some students in the past where they got interest from a company they followed our direction there, licensing, licensing, licensing. They were doing all the right things. Company kept pushing on it. It's not really very common, guys, but they kept pushing on it. And we're like, okay, if they insist, well, here's the licensing royalty rate. Here's what it would be. Um, and it, I, I think it makes a lot more sense for you guys to pay as you go, whereas you make money, you're paying this royalty. You know, you're going to make a lot more money that way. So that that's the point I want to make, too. You're going to make way more money than they would ever pay you up front, especially for a product that you haven't ventured and been selling on your own. Um, if you, I talked to a guy this morning, you know, they've sold tons of units, have tons of, you know, they have tooling, they have all this stuff and they have serious distribution. That's more like they're buying your company out plus do a licensing deal. But most of you don't, that's not where you are. You know, you, you've got an idea, you want to license it and you want to get the money on the back end. And don't think falsely, oh, well, if I try to sell this myself, then I'm going to get more money. Well, yeah, if you don't do that well with it and you're selling 50 or 100 units a month, it's going to hurt you, not help you. OK. And if somebody if you have been doing that, somebody brings it up, say, well, you know, I've just been testing it out. OK, but it's not necessary to do a licensing deal. So. You, so in those isolated incidents where even though we said no licensing deal, licensing deal, licensing deal, and they still insisted on a buyout, you just gave them a ridiculous figure. But you never want to give them that ridiculous figure alongside uh, without it, it having shown them the licensing offer first. And then you should still always show it side by side because it's going to look ridiculous and they're not going to freaking pay it. They will not pay it. Now, there's always exceptions. Um, but to think that you, I want, just because you think it's a good idea to just sell your idea outright, doesn't mean it makes sense for companies. Imagine 
they're spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars investing in this new product. And they haven't made a dime yet. And they're going to invest all this money and take all this risk and do all this work. And you want some giant upfront money to buy them out. And they don't even know if it's going to do well yet. Even if they have a good gut about it, they'll never pay you what it's worth. But maybe this product sells for eight years and earns you royalty after year, after quarter, after quarter, after year, after year. They will never pay you a fraction of what it would have been over that period of time. Okay. So I'm not saying that you can't do it. Do I think it's stupid? 98% of the time, yeah, it's just outright stupid. And it, you made it up in your own head or inventors make it up in their own head that this is what makes sense. It's like, no, it doesn't make sense for the company. And it doesn't make sense for you either. Okay. So, um, I mean, if you can get it, but, and you know, guess what? The, the, the bigger the company, the worse it is, you know, oh, but they're a really big company. I mean, we have these two students that they wanted $5 million each up front, and they justified it because this and this, and our negotiation coach was like, guys, I mean, basically, you're never going to get that. But this has great potential. And they just insisted that they won't do anything other than that. It was crazy. I, it's so rare that I see that. Um, but they were just off their rocker with what they thought was reasonable. Um, and we don't we just don't get that from our students. But that one really stood out. Um, so hopefully that was helpful, Waleed. So, um, I would take them the direction of licensing and I wouldn't give them a, I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give them a purchase, a right to purchase it outright unless they, they've asked you literally three or four times and they're not giving it up. I would say I'm looking for a reasonable royalty per unit. It's just a small royalty. When you guys make money, you pay me that royalty quarterly. And you want to just keep saying that. And if they keep beating you up, like they're just not giving up on it. And then give them a ridiculous figure, but go, but this makes more sense. Okay. Um, uh, Black, Black Sand said, hi, Andrew, enjoy your shows. You're welcome. Thank you for saying that. Roaming Tortoise, there's Marcus, is, his name's Marcus, is a regular. If your product is a treat for pets, do you need to know that exact recipe or just a general idea of what it will be? Well, that's interesting. You know, with anything with regarding to food, whether it's human food or pet food, um, making something in your kitchen and making a small bowl of it is very different than mass producing it. So you do need to think when you have a recipe that it can it be mass produced? Will different ingredients be included? What is that? You know, you don't have to figure all that out. Um, but, you know, if you want to sell a recipe for a dog treat, I'd say you have to have a pretty good idea of what that is. You know, now you're probably going to end up sending some samples when they show interest and then they'll see if the dogs gobble it up and how they enjoy it. But, um, I, I, you know, a recipe isn't a general idea. It is a recipe. So now might they change it up a little bit for mass manufacturing more than likely especially for pet food right but i think you do need to have an idea of what's in it you know maybe you know what the key ingredient is or what's unique and you can sell that um but you know without knowing specifically what the product is that's a good question marcus um while he had said hi andrew can i use the video only without the sell sheet absolutely our students do one of three ways they just do a sell sheet, they do a sell sheet and a video, or they just do a video. 
you know, so sell sheet, sell sheet and video or just video. And sometimes video is perfectly, perfectly fine. Always keep it under 60 seconds when you're planning it out. Do a storyboard, just like a cartoon strip so you can plan to shoot it. Um, like I said, I think last time I covered this a bit, sometimes you can just shoot it all the way through and that's it. Like I'll give you an example. Um, this product was done by Mike and it's a product for hanging picture frames and it has a level here and then it pushes the nails in exactly where you need them to hang the picture frame. So when he did this product, he spent thousands and thousands of dollars paying a company. This is before he came to us um, for a video on it. Um, and then he shot a video with his wife just literally all the way through. She was just like standing next to a wall and she was demoing it. And he started using that one that did way better than the professional one. And with this particular video, they didn't even edit it. Like he literally held up his iPhone, shot it all the way through. I don't know how long it was. It was probably under 60 seconds or so. And that did better and performed better. So don't ever feel like you need to be a production studio or Steven Spielberg. Um, not everybody's going to shoot a video all the way through. You might have clips and then you got to put them together. If you're on a Mac, you need you can use iMovie to do that. Pretty damn easy. Um, you could find throw a rock these days and hit a college or high school student. Um, where they could piece it together for you. Maybe they can even come over to your house. Um, and you got, you know, here's the storyboard. Here's what I accomplished. Okay, let's shoot these scenes. And then they just sit down at the computer, put it together. I mean, it's only in 60 seconds or other under. But you need to be the one that gives it thought. If you have anybody helping you um, shoot your video, you need to show them your storyboard. Here's scene one, scene two. Here's what's being said. Maybe nothing's being said. It's just showing the video. And then later you're going to narrate over top of it and pay somebody on Fiverr to do the narration. We don't do narration. So for our students doing videos, they just go on Fiverr and get a narrator. Usually 25 to 35 bucks. It's not expensive. Um, so yeah, it can be fine. It really, you know, when we help our students, the coach will help the student figure out what works. And to me, it's pretty obvious if it's a sell sheet and a video or just a video or just a sell sheet, and it depends. That's something that you learn with experience. So without knowing what your product is, I couldn't say what's right for you, Walid. I might look at it and go, dude, you can totally use a sell sheet. You're fine. Or, you know, a sell sheet with just a short 20-second video showing this or that would be nice. They click on it in the sell sheet. That would be great. Or I might say, you know what? You got a lot to cover here. Why don't you just do the video? I'm not saying the only reason you do a video, but it really depends. It really depends on, um, on the product. Uh, Edgar and Jess, hi, Andrew. I'm in the process of submitting an idea to the company I work for. Ooh, okay. Um, and the product would need to have a subscription service. Okay, sounds complicated. Can I negotiate a percentage of the subscription renewal fee as well? Well, first of all, it's a company you're working for, so you work for them. So you need to make sure you didn't sign an employment agreement that they say, anything you invent in the area of their business that that um, that they own. So that might be something to look at, but you know your boss better than I do. Um, with the subscription service, the question is, are you really creating something that um, is tapping into what they already do? So this is a general comment, and I think it'll apply to you, Edgar and Jess. Um, when you license, 
if a company, I, I gave this example, I think the other day, I had, I had a student at an interest from a company that would sell it, was selling at Walmart. Okay. And they said, well, Andrew, I think this company should, if people want it, monogram each one. I'm like, dude, they sell tens, hundreds of thousands of units to Walmart. They're not in the business of doing customized labeled initials on every unit they sell. That's not what they do. Look at all their products. Look at all these products. That doesn't even remotely, that's not in their services. So companies will sell where they already sell in the existing distribution channels, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You find this part of my language, big ass company, and they're in, um, you know, five different major retailers. Well, that's where they're going to go. But for you to say, well, you should tackle on the subscription service or you should also sell over there or, you know, they're not starting a new business. They're tapping into the distribution they already have. If they sell pet products. Don't try to convince them. Let's say they sell dog products, exclusively dog. And you're trying to convince them to sell cat products. Well, that doesn't make sense, you know, or you're trying to get them to distribute in a different distribution channel or a completely different product type than they're even remotely in. You're trying to get them to do your new mattress idea and they're doing bicycles. And I've met inventors that, that think, oh, oh, the company said they're open, so I'll send them any idea. You know, you got to send ideas to companies that are already doing things that are similar. So that also, Edgar and Jess, if you need to have a subscription service and your company you work for doesn't do anything with subscription services, you're going dramatically, let's just say they just sell consumer products and you've never seen them sell a subscription service you're going dramatically outside of their wheelhouse. Now, if you, you, you're you licensing a product and it involves a subscription service and you see a ton of companies selling products in that space and they have subscription services, great, that's what they do, okay? So the rule of thumb is don't ask them to do something dramatically different than what they already do in the way of distribution or in their product category or anything like that, okay? Now, people are like, well, but I'm an inventor, Andrew. Everything is different. It's like, yeah, it's different, but you're finding companies that are a right match for it, okay? And this is an advantage. This is not a disadvantage. But if you insist, well, I love this company, and I'm going to try to get them to do something so different than what they do, you're just going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. So now with Edgar and Jess, for all I know, they this company they work for sells a subscription service. But this is a company they work for. So Edgar and Jess, when our students try to license products, usually to 20 or 30 companies not one, not the one company you work for. Now, it'd be pretty weird if this is the type of product they sell and now you work for them and now you're going to be trying to license it to their competitors. So you got to be careful when you're an employee and you're inventing in the industry of your your job and what what is fair there. You know, maybe they didn't have you sign a work for hire agreement. And maybe that's perfectly ethical. Maybe it's not. You have to be the judge of that and depending on what you're, you're doing there. I haven't really found our students working in, in different industries to be an issue. I've seen a few isolated things where they're like, oh my gosh, I got like a, I, I remember I signed something when I joined um, this company, but I don't remember and they didn't even give me a copy of it. I'm like, well, you should know what you committed to as far as um, them owning whatever you create in, in the area of your invention. Um, so I don't think it's something to be concerned about. It's, I really haven't seen it be much of a problem, but it is something to think about and something to be aware of. Okay. Uh, let's see. 
Spencer said, hey, Andrew, can, can you talk a little bit about the stage at which an inventor is adding the company in developing the finished product and how can we prepare for that? Okay, well, I mean, the process is usually, is usually get interest. So you're gonna get interest in the benefit of the product. You're gonna have a sell sheet or a video like we talked about earlier. And you're going to get interested, and they're interested in the benefit of the product. Okay, that's what they need to know. Well, if our customers saw the sell sheet, would they buy it? And if the ants, if they're getting back to you and dropping an email back, hey, this is interesting or whatever, they feel like that might be true. Okay, so you want to get past that stage. So your first call, you're not talking about, you know, developing the pieces that still need to be developed and stuff like that. Maybe if they bring it up if they have some concerns about it but you're just kind of moving it forward. You're trying to create a relationship, but it's extremely common for our students to take it so far, give them enough information. And the company's like, we got it from here, or we'll go to some quotes. We'll let you know if we perceive it there to be any problems or our contract manufacturer we use, if they say there's any problems. And so being involved with that, which is getting to the core of your question, which is a great question, being involved with them further developing it um, to assess, because they want to know, can we make it? And we, you can make anything at some price, right? But can we make it? And can we make it a reasonable price? And, um, you know, we just talked about this the other day, where our actually our negotiation coach, he had interest from a company. And the company said, oh, we're going to go, we're going to send it overseas to China to get some quotes. And the company um, emailed some stuff back, to the, the, the contract manufacturer in China, emailed some stuff back to the company that our negotiation coach was trying to do a deal with. It was for his own product. Um, and, and apparently, you know, marketing managers and CEOs of companies and people at the CEO, if it's a smaller company, um, they don't, they're busy too. And so he forwarded it and said, oh, my guys over in Asia says this can't be done. Now, what we did was nice, he forwarded that info and he said it can't be done, but he didn't really look at it because Paul, our negotiation coach, looked at it and said, well, they're wrong because of this, this and this. That doesn't make any sense. And the gentleman at the company he's trying to license you looked at it and he's like, you're right. What they said doesn't even make any sense. So that's a perfect, perfect example. If you can be involved in the back and forth, what's the next step? Let me know if you have any problems. I might have solutions. You, the more involved you can stay, you can fix little problems like that because they're human, just like you and me, and they make mistakes. The guy was busy, didn't really look at what the company in China said, and then our negotiation coach got a hold of it and said, well, what they're saying doesn't make sense. And he's like, oh, you're right, okay? I didn't ask him how that, how that moved forward after that, but so you want to stay really involved um, and just ask him, so what's the next step? Oh, well, we're going to get some quotes overseas, see if this can be done and done at a reasonable price. Oh, okay. Well, um, any feedback that they have, please, you know, feel free to send it over to me. I might have solutions if there's issues and they might have additional questions that I might be able to answer. So you let them know that. And sometimes they'll still involve you. They'll, they'll involve you. And sometimes they still won't. You know, you just can't completely control that. Um, but you can ask questions when they say, Look, this won't work. You know, say, can you tell me why? And let me see if I can come up with this a solution. You know. Um, so, uh, Spencer, I think that um, how can you prepare for that? 
when you get interest from a company and they want some more information about manufacturing, I say this over and over again, you can um, look at similar products and, oh, but there's nothing similar to mine. Yeah, there is. So you can look at something that's kind of like has, you know, 75% of the components and see the price and you could tell them, well, there's this and this, and it's made it for 1995 and $24.95. And I know we're changing some stuff, but I'm pretty confident that you can do this. It's actually okay to give them that kind of feedback. They, they really appreciate that sometimes. Um, and sometimes they don't need it. But um, so those are the things you can do to, to prepare. Be prepared to stay involved. I guess that's my best advice. Okay. Um, Todd said, I'm about to have a patent search done with a patent lawyer. What do I need to provide him to make sure this search is meaningful and worthwhile? Oh, I love that question. So um, we do patent searches for people. Um, and any patent search that InventRight does, we I don't feel like most, most of our students need it. We have videos and trainings on how to do it inside our membership site. And the patent search is very unimportant compared to a market search. So first of all, Todd, if you didn't do a market search, don't have your attorney do a patent search. You need to do a market search first on Google Images. If it's a consumer product, Amazon too, but Google Images is my favorite. And look at all the retail sites where this type of product would be sold and see what else is out there. You're not trying to prove it doesn't exist. You're trying to see how it fits in the marketplace. So if you haven't done that, do not have the patent attorney do a patent search because you might find things you weren't aware of in the marketplace, which is way more important. Because a patent just means somebody threw a bunch of money at a patent attorney. It doesn't mean it makes sense doesn't mean it's manufactured reasonable price, doesn't mean that anybody would want to buy it. But a market search tells you what's actually selling today on the market. It tells you so much more, okay? So there might be similar things in the space. You go, oh, good, that validates my idea. Or, hey, you might not find the exact same thing, um, or, but, you know, you, you know you're, gonna find, you're gonna go, but it fits in. There's like these over here and these over here, it fits here. You know, but you really need to do a thorough search. But getting back to your question, um, you need to do that market search because you need to give your patent attorney a clear point of difference. What's your unique selling proposition? What's the unique functionality utility that your product has over the other products? But if you haven't looked at the other products in the marketplace, then how would you know that? So you need to kind of like say, this is what it is. Give them some examples of other stuff in the space. And then say, here's my point of difference. Give them a good idea for your point of difference so they know what to dig and to find, you know, as far as the unique point of difference. If you just generally give them this kind of vague idea, it's going to be a crappy patent search. So when we do them for the people that insist on doing them, because I don't think most people need them, they always come to me first. And I look at it and literally half the time I'm like, no, we're not giving enough information to the patent searcher. Let's clear. And because I'm like, well, I'm confused on it. And I understand really, really like I've been doing this so long. An inventor could be very uh, inarticulate in explaining what the product is. And I'm like, oh, you mean this and this. I'll always verify with the inventor. I'm like, well, I think it's this. Is that right? Oh, yes, it is. I'm like, okay, we need to make that more clear. I could see the patent searcher not fully understanding that. And then they do a search and it's just garbage, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So your patent searcher is only as good as the information you give them. So you need that unique, what are the unique points of difference based on their products? Give them some examples, links to these other products, your unique point of difference, okay? And what, what you think is unique that needs to be protected. So that's my advice there. 
Uh, Tony said, as always, thank you for being here for us. You're welcome, Tony. <coughs> um, Mar Marin, why do we get so many questions about LLCs? Good question. How, how do I open an LLC if I'm not in the USA? You, you don't, um, and you're in Croatia. So, I mean, in a roundabout way, you're protected because you're in Croatia, right? So, um, you know, they have different business entities, I'm sure, in Croatia. One of the reasons to do an LLC is to protect yourself. So, first off, I've never had one of our students ever, ever, in 23 years, say, oh, some consumer sued the company and now I'm in trouble. I haven't even had students say some consumer sued the company. I'm sure it's happened. We have people who have knives and ladders and all sorts of stuff like that that are dangerous. Um, so, Marin, don't worry about it. You don't need to file an LLC if you're in Croatia. So your protection as far as liability goes is you insist you're covered in their product liability insurance. So all these companies will have a, typically have a million to two million of product liability insurance. Otherwise, they can't sell in retailers. So And to add you to their product liability insurance when you do a deal, it doesn't cost them a dime. Quite often, they'll say it does. We, we get this happen all the time. And our negotiation coach, Paul, will say, tell them it doesn't. Tell them you have a mentor that's been licensing for decades. And, and we've ne he's never seen a company that had to pay one cent more to add the inventor to the liability insurance. Okay, And so that's first form of protection. Then the second form is they don't even know you exist. So they're going to sue somebody. They're going to sue the company, not you. And let's say they did dig you up. You have that million dollars in product liability insurance. And then you have an LLC on top of that. Okay. Um, I've never had it be an issue ever. Could it be? Potentially, yes. But Marin, just the fact that you're in Croatia, no consumer that's trying to sue the company is going to go after a, an independent inventor in Croatia. That in and of itself, you being in Croatia, is the, a form of protection. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. Maybe they have some sort of LLC or corporation in Croatia. On This is not legal advice, guys. I'm just speaking uh, philosophically. Um, do I think that you need to do those? Probably not because you're in Croatia. Anybody that's in the U.S., um, I always say do an LLC. And we tell our students do not do that under your own name. Now, it doesn't have to be an LLC, Marin. You could be a company name. And you do it under a company name. Um, but I, I'm really not personally, I wouldn't be concerned. I can't tell you what to do, but that's hope. I think I gave you enough info. So you hear us talking about LLC, LLC. You're in Croatia. They don't have an LLC in Croatia. They might have something else. I have no freaking idea. Am I concerned about it? No. Get a licensing deal done. That's my, my take. Not legal advice, by the way. And nothing I share with you today is legal advice. Got to keep saying that, right? Um, Okay, Richard said, when looking for companies to call, are looking for people to make your items to sell or people that will make your prototype? Okay, it's kind of a confusing question, but are you looking? No, you're not looking for somebody to make your prototype. You're I'm not saying you aren't, you might be, but when you license, and so I think this is generally your question, I might maybe off, but when you license, you don't license the retailers, guys. Once in a blue moon, you see that. You license to the manufacturer that sells to the retailer, okay? 
So you don't like Petco is a major pet retailer, right? And if you got a dog toy, you're licensing and you see that there's, you know, six major companies that are in Petco and you license to one of those dog toy companies, well, then they're going to sell it to the retailer, right? You don't sell to the retailer, license the retailer, you license it to the manufacturer that sells the retailer. They're like a brand, right? Um, so you're confusing, I think, Richard, it's hard with the Q&A. Maybe that's not what you meant, but that's who you're licensing to, um, you're, you know, uh, the prototype part, I wasn't fully understanding. Feel free to type explanation in further, but hopefully that was helpful. Uh, let's see. Leaf says, would I be liable post-licensing for patent infringement? Well, this is a good question that I wasn't aware of. Also, should I continue to pursue a patent after the PPA, even for a quick-to-market kitchen gadget? Really good question. Um, so... Um, there are, uh, there are clauses in licensing agreements, and sometimes companies will add them and sometimes they won't. And they're basically indemnification clauses. And the most common indemnification clause, which for each way is for you as the inventor, that they're going to hold you harmless for any manufacturing defects or manufacturing problems. So if somebody gets hurt with this product because they didn't manufacture it right, that you are not liable for their manufacturing issues, okay? That's a common indemnification of, of them or you for manufacturing issues. Then the other one going back, which they don't always put in the contract, surprisingly enough, but quite often they don't, is that you indemnify them against any patent infringement. So um, when you're in the midst of a really deep deal and you're that far along, then you might want to do a more in-depth patent search just to make you're not make sure you're not in violation of anyone else's patents. That really freaks inventors out. Have I ever seen it be a problem? I've never seen it be a problem. Um, they don't all insist that you indemnify them against patent infringement, um, but it does freak people out, and it is a good reason. That is a really good time to do a more thorough patent search. That you know, I was beaten up doing patent searches too early before you even a marketing search, but that's a good time to do it. So, um, yeah, you know, that can be, a, could be a problem for you. Uh, so would I be liable post-licensing for patent infringement that I wasn't aware of? Only if they put that indemnification clause in there. But if, you know, you personally, I mean, to them, but you personally are still liable, you're the patent holder if you're infringing on somebody else's patent, you know, but maybe it's just you filed a provisional, then later you file a patent. So you might not even be infringing anything yet, right? Um, and uh, the patent office will issue patents that do conflict with other patents. So that can happen sometimes. You know, they only, the patent examiners only have so much time to go through stuff. And you'd be surprised that that probably happens more often than not. But we never know about it because the only people that are debating it um, on that particular product is if a lot of money is being made, right? So, God, I'm sure there's so many instances of the patent office issuing um uh, patents that will conflict with other already existing issued patents. It just doesn't come up because when it comes up, when this money's being made and somebody's contesting it and who wants to contest something nobody's making any money on, right? So let's, so that's the reality of it, guys. That's, that's real. Um, people have weird ideas about patents that they're like this Superman, Iron Man, kryptonite, perfect protection. And then you're just golden. If you get a patent, none of that crap is true. It's not even remotely true. Um, other parts of leave question is also, should I continue to pursue a patent after the PPA? 
even for a quick to market kitchen gadget. So that's a good question. You know, you know, maybe that they sell that gadget just for two or three years. And was it worth the investment in the patent? Some companies, they're like, we don't care. You can file it if you want. Otherwise, like, ah, oh, yeah, we want the window dressing. And other ones are like, we, you know, like medical device companies, like, no, no, we got to have a patent, you know? So I think it's a combination of what's important to them. You filed your provisional patent, maybe only spent 75 bucks on it. You did an attorney, did it, you know, you use your software. It's only cost you 75 bucks. You had an attorney do it, it can be around 2,500 bucks or so. Um, so now you got to pay for a full utility patent, um, which, you know, you, quite often you can get them to give you an advance on royalties on that. So it's no money out of your pocket, but they just keep that a certain amount in royal in the first royalties as they come in. Um, so, you know, I think that if they, the only time where it's really going to be an issue, if they say it's important to them, you're going to do it anyway, right? And maybe you get an advance on royalties and you get them to kind of, advance you that and then you pay for it but if they're like oh we don't care you can do it if you want then you have a decision to make you know now one little weird trick that you can you can do is you know before they make public disclosure before they start selling it before they publicly disclose it in any other ways you could file a provisional again and get another year now you won't get your original year but you get a year from the new one because if you're like you know let's say you're really on the fence hey the company doesn't care good company i don't know how much this thing's going to sell I, I don't want to invest six or eight or ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, your particular patent attorney or more can be um, in this. You could go, well, let's see how they do the first year. And you could file a provisional again if you timed it with them. And you could file it like the week before they're ready to go public. This is in theory, guys. And then you got a whole year and they're publicly disclosing it. But you file that provisional. Now you get a whole year and you can kind of see how the sales go. And then you could decide to file one. That's a, a, another thing that I've, I've shared with our students before as well. So, um, so hopefully that was a very detailed answer, Lee. But I hope hopefully you're happy with that. Um, okay, uh, B, BT Jag Ten. Uh, who do you reach out to at a company? I have a patent. I would love to license. Again, you're not licensing your patent. You're licensing the benefit of your product. Not licensing your patent, not licensing your product, you're licensing the benefit of your product. And what VT JAG 10, you know, one thing that might shock you is you don't need to have a patent to license a product with some companies. So um, that is a good thing just to say, because a lot of people trip out on that. And we love um, shocking you guys and also just educating. So um, I have a patent I would love to license. Do we need to record a record of sales before companies will license it. No, you absolutely do not. Um, and you selling 50 units or 100 units isn't going to press anybody. If you just show them the product with a good marketing piece, in their mind, the sky's the limit. So that's great. That's a plus. But if you've been plotting along for three years and barely selling any, now you got to make excuses like, oh, but I've just been testing it. Three years? Really? You know? And so, no, you absolutely don't need to have sold a single one to license a product. We have people that have come on board with us that have been selling it themselves and now they want to license. They're like, they're either losing tons of money or they're like, hey, I just make a minimum wage or they're doing really, really well selling it themselves. I know a big company can do better than me, you know, and license it. So you can have ventured it and license it, but I would never, I wouldn't say never because there's always exceptions, but 98% of the time I wouldn't venture a product because it's so painful, guys. It's so much work. You have no freaking idea. And for those of you that do, you you know, um, to they go, oh, well, maybe I'll get more money if I do that. You know, no, 
Now, yeah, if you got it into 10,000 stores and you got this great distribution and you're selling it like hotcakes, yeah, but that's such, you're going to spend one to three years doing that just to get a better licensing deal uh, when you could have just licensed it from scratch, you know, not, not necessary. Um, so let's go back to your first question. Who do you reach out to at a company? Usually it's the marketing manager. You don't want to go for the CEO or the president unless it's a smaller company. Um, you want to go for marketing managers at the company. And we teach our students to reach out via LinkedIn, reach out via email, and reach out via the phone. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, Tony says, when working with Design Studio for Virtual Prototype, that's our design department, do we get any revisions if something is, is, isn't quite right? Uh, absolutely you do. Absolutely. Um, we've had people in the, in the past, you know, it's not a brainstorming thing. So you got to give them a good idea what they want, what you want. Um, and then just go like completely another direction and don't do that. But yeah, of course you get revisions. That's, that's important. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, Slade said, how can, how much should I budget before pursuing an invention? licensing and your coaching program, minimum, maximum, average, obviously it can vary on the project. Okay. I love this question. So let's keep the, what we charge for coaching separate, and then I'll get into that in a second here. But as far as investing in each project, theoretically, and in fact, with a huge number of products, not all, you can literally invest less than three or $400. So, and you could be potentially earning you know, 50 or a couple hundred thousand dollars or more a year in royalties. And that varies dramatically as well, of course. Um, so what, what, are, what are some of those costs? So $75 for a provisional patent application. You need to have a good sell sheet and or video. And if you can't make the prototype, get somebody to do a virtual prototype. You know, you can usually do that all for like under 400 bucks. You know, now you save yourself even more money if you don't need the virtual prototype and you're like, well, I cannibalized something in the store and I took a picture and it looks good. But quite often that's not the case, but it looks good. Well, then you don't even need a virtual prototype. You just need a sell sheet and um, and a uh, uh, provisional patent application, right? So that's money invested. Now, sometimes do you need to buy something in the store, cannibalize it, play with it? Um, on highly complex projects, might you need to invest in engineering or in getting technical advice? Um, on some ideas, might you need to get a prototype? Yes, but you know, for 85% of our students, sorry, my nose is itchy. Um, we do a virtual prototype. Um, so, but don't think you always need a prototype. So it is going to vary, you know. Um, so I would say, you know, I, now if you're a graphic designer too, you can do your own sell sheet. I find that most inventors doing their own sell sheets is a really bad idea. Um, there are things like Canva where you can get a template and put it in there. But if your marketing is not good, that's kind of dangerous. So, um, so yeah, I, I can't give you the maximum. And the maximum, I've seen people spend insane amounts of money. But the minimum, I would say, you know, anywhere from uh, $100 to, to $400 would be the minimum. And that's not, you know, with our coaching. That's just to get what you need to go ahead and approach companies, Okay because we guide you and teach you how to make your list of companies um, and how to reach out and all that. Um, now, as far as our program goes, um, we have an academy program, um, and the, which is group coaching. And then we have a premium one-on-one -on -one coaching program, which is what 
about 90, 95% of people sign up with. We also do have some other shorter coaching programs, three to six week programs, which are brand new. We're just starting to do those. So you can check those out on our website. And the, the price range for that is about two or for coaching, like $299 for a kickstart call or evaluation call up to $3,500 for a premium program. Most people do our premium program. Um, and you can make that in like uh, one payment or over six months or over 12 months. The payment gets pretty low if you do it over 12 months, if you're interested in that. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, hmm. Xavier said, um, do you encourage product developers to use a holding company for their intellectual property? Um, you most definitely could do that if you want to. But, you know, you're like you're new to this game. You're getting familiar with things um, and you got a, a kitchen gadget. or You got something that's not like a massive, massive deal. I mean, we had a, a student of ours recently did a license, a medical product like a, let's say it's going to be a multi-million dollar deal. Um, could it would it make sense then? Maybe. Yeah. But I don't really find that it's it's, it's necessary. I haven't had any of our students have a problem. Um, it, it could be helpful. Um, but. I guess let, let me let's think about this out loud here because I'm just thinking about this um, holding company for your intellectual property. Well, first of all, one one method of what you're trying to accomplish there is you you never assign the patent to the company you license to. So the licensing agreement, people that are new don't understand this. You're not selling your patent, okay? You're, you might be renting your patent if the agreement is dependent on a patent, but a lot of times we make it not dependent on the patent, which is even better. They got to pay you regardless. Um, people are shocked. You can do that. Yeah, you can do that. Um, so if you own the patent, which even if they give you money as an advance and then you pay your patent attorney to file the utility and reference your provisional, the patent's in your name. And the licensing agreement is saying, look, we're I'm renting this to you. I'm renting you the patent or just renting you the idea. And if you don't perform, I can take it back. And it's a lot easier if the patent is in your name. And this, we basically don't let our students put it in the company's name. We go, that's a really bad idea. Because now they got to reassign it to you. If there's some disagreement, it's a mess. If the patent's in your name. They have the right to rent it under the licensing agreement, the product. And if they don't perform, you can say you're not performing. And you want to give them a chance first, of course. But let's say it's gotten bad. You're not performing. I'm taking it back. And they have a time to sell off the product and such and, you know, various other clauses and things. But the patent's in your name now. You don't need to beg and plead to get them to reassign it to you, which is a giant pain in the ass. Um, so the whole holding company thing is for really more difficult um, projects that are really an issue. Um, if you can hold it yourself or in an LLC, um, I mean, well, I shouldn't say you in yourself. If you can hold it with your LLC, um, that's one way of, of, you know, it's it's like a holding company. You know, and you might not have licensed their products. You just have that one product there. So it kind of is that. But um, there are other more advanced techniques that I really don't find vendors need very often there. So, but good questions, Zavia. Um, let's see. Um, so before we, I want to go a little bit over here. But before we wrap up, um, if you guys want to say thank you to me for answering questions for a full hour, if you could down below, click on subscribe, click on the notification button, give it a thumbs up. If you do all those things, that would be great. If you're already subscribed, don't click on it again and unsubscribe. Um, but that's the way you can say thank you to me personally for spending a whole hour to answer your questions. 
We can never get to all the questions. So I'm doing this every Monday at four o'clock Pacific. If you show up earlier next time, I didn't get to your question. Um, I'll, I will be getting to it, but you got to type it in sooner. So I just can't get to everybody. Um, also, if you're interested in getting more help, such as the coaching program I referenced, go to InventRight, click on contact us. You'll be talking to Dana or Sylvia. They're both super friendly. You might be like, I'm not even ready to sign up now, but I'd like to investigate and understand how you guys help. So when I'm ready, I'll know. Um, do that. They're, they're, Sylvia and Dana are super friendly. They're, they're going to hound you. You can actually tell them. Andrew said that. Hey, he said, book a call just to check out how you guys can help so I can understand and you can explain it to me. And I'm not quite ready yet, but Andrew said on his live stream, do that. You can, you're welcome to do that, guys. Um, Jonathan said, thanks for the weekly knowledge drops. You're welcome, Jonathan. Um, uh, Rosetta said, should you send your invention to one company at a time? Absolutely not. It'll take forever. Don't do that. If you got 30 companies, send it to all 30 at the same time. If you got 20, send it to all 20 at the same time. It's okay to have interest from multiple. If you get interest, keep sending to more companies most of the time. Because what if you keep talking to this company for two, three months and they said, oh, we decided not to. And then you're going to go back, reach out to five more, get interest from another one, and then stop calling companies again, go forward two months, and then always oh, decide not to. And then you just drag this thing out forever. It's okay to have interest from multiple. It's not a problem. It's normal. They naturally fall off. Obviously, you're going to be more nervous about doing that on your own than when you're with us. But it's um, it's uh, it's important. Oops. I just realized I got I got some interviews to do. I can't go over here. I got to cut it off. I got an interview at five right now. It's 501. So I got to get going, guys. Um, take care. Keep inventing. And we'll catch up with you next time. See you guys. Thank you so much. Bye.